following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Morning, everyone. Oh, what a lovely response. So uh, in prayer meeting uh, over here this morning, someone said that God is pleased to use the foolishness of preaching to transform lives. I didn't take that personally. Uh, he's right. I mean, it's, it's God's power in preaching, not, not the speaker. But every now and then, I think God likes to add just a touch more foolishness to the mix. So, um, and I think he thought it was a good idea that this would be uh, the weekend for me to get sick. So yesterday, you should have seen, I was laid out with the flu. And uh, so I'm a little kind of not quite all the way here. So if this message really speaks to you this morning, don't come and congratulate me because it's not me, it's God. And if the message does not speak to you this morning, then get off my back, I'm sick already. Yes. <laughs> but I think we should start with prayer. Lord, we just thank you for today. We thank you that you give us days to live and we thank you that you uh, have brought us all here today and you've gathered us from all different parts of the city and the world and um, you've just given us a chance to worship you. And we appreciate that. Um, and, and we also come to you, we give you our worship, but we also come needing you and we need your strength and we need your deliverance and, and we just need you. And uh, so Lord... Thank you for that. And as I come here, Lord, and I speak, I just ask that you'd let me take a back seat and that you would just um, speak through me and, and that you would really touch people's lives today. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Right. There are some stories in the Bible that when you read them, or at least when I read them, I really wish that I was there. Can you think of a story in the Bible? A lot of them in the Old Testament. But when you just kind of, you, you read it happening, you think, man, I wish I could see that happen. That would have just been amazing to, to just be amongst the crowds. One of them for me is in 1 Kings chapter 18 uh, with Elijah. And um, Elijah is the prophet of God in the nation of Israel. And Israel is in this midst of this really dark period of worshipping false gods, uh, the Baals as they were known. And so almost everybody in the whole country was kind of like, flirting with both God and the Baals, and they were worshipping both. And they weren't rejecting God outright. They kind of kept them, kept God in their little sort of back pocket as a just-in-case-the-Baals-aren't-real type situation, but they were worshipping the Baals as well, you know, hedging their bets, I guess. And so this was a really dark time. Uh, they were led by a man named Ahab, who was just not up to par as far as being a king of Israel, and he, he did nothing to get rid of all of these um, idols. And he was led by his wife, as every man is, uh, he is led by his wife, Queen Jezebel. And Jezebel was kind of like this Rasputin-type character who just really seemed to be, you know, puppeteering Ahab. And she was really the big, uh, the big dog in Israel at the time, as we'll see in a little bit. But anyway, so you've got all of this, this idolatry going on in Israel. And there are 450 prophets of Baal throughout the nation. And Elijah is the one prophet of God. It's just him. He's the sort of, at least this is the way he feels. He is the last hope for God in Israel. And so Elijah, and I love Elijah. This guy is just absolutely amazing. He, instead of just kind of shrinking back a little bit, he decides to go all out. He puts all of the chips in the middle of the table, and he goes to Ahab, the king, and he says, you know what? You tell all of the prophets of Baal, you tell all of the people to come and meet me on Mount Carmel, and I'll be there, and we're going to set the record straight. And so Ahab's like, all right. So he brings all of these 450 prophets of Baal, and, and here's Elijah <laughs> just sitting off to the side, and here's everybody gathers around. And then Elijah kind of puts forward this major test. He says, we're each going to build an altar. I'll build an altar to God, and you guys build an altar to Baal. 
We'll put a cow on there and then we will pray and Baal will consume it with fire or God will consume mine with fire, you know, and we'll decide who is the real God. He says, stop sitting on the fence. Either God is real or the Baals are real, okay? So just pick one. And this is one guy against 450 prophets and a whole crowd of people, you know, and he's just, he's just going for it. And so they do this thing, and, and so the Baal prophets, they set up their altar, and they're, they're praying to Baal, and they're doing this all morning. And around about midday, <laughs> in fact, I think this uh, verse is up on the screen, around midday at noon, Elijah began to taunt them. He says, shout louder, he says, surely he is a god. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or traveling. Uh, maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. I mean, just the brash bravado of Elijah here. He's taunting these people. And of course, it doesn't work. And they're slashing themselves and doing all sorts of weird things to get Baal to kind of consume it with fire. Then Elijah's like, all right, you guys, you had your turn. Step aside. And so he steps up and he says, all right, I'm going to build this altar. And he builds it with 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And he gets a, a cow and he puts it on there. And he says, all right, now douse it with water again and again and again. He just gets all of this water and pours it all over this thing. So I mean, it's, it's really hard to sit on fire. And he steps back and he prays to God and he says, God, we want to know that you are the true God. Show them. And of course, then this blazing fire comes down from heaven and just kind of burns the whole altar up. It's just magnificent scene. You can almost just see him, Elijah, just standing there with his arms out wide, his muscles rippling as this fire comes kind of screaming down from him. I mean, that's a movie poster right there, right? You know, it's just this amazing moment where Elijah, who is just like filled with the Spirit of God, and he's not going to let anyone scare him. And he's, you know, and he's just like, I'm going to do this. And God is the real God, and I believe him despite what everybody else thinks. And then God comes through, and it's this amazing miracle, a real turning point, a real important event for Israel, such an amazing moment for Elijah to be part of that. I mean, it was God's power, obviously, but just to be the one who was able to be used like that, it's, oh, it's amazing. Which makes... First Kings chapter 19, all the more confusing or eye-opening. Let's have a read. First Kings 19, 1 to 4. Now Ahab told Jezebel, his wife, the real leader, everything Elijah had done and how he killed all of the prophets with a sword. Oh yeah, we don't hear that part in the um, you know, Sunday school version, but after... God came to, you know, set fire to the, the thing and proved himself. They killed all of the prophets of Baal, 450 of them. Which, set that aside there. Just saying. Um, so he, he, how he killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Ha! says Elijah. Ha! I stood before Ahab, the king of Israel. I stood before 450 angry prophets and the whole nation of Israel who are ready to kind of take care of me. You think a message from Jezebel is going to worry me? Verse 3, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, or in some translations, a juniper tree, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Take my life. I've had enough. What happened here? I mean, how does a man in the span of less than a week go from this brash confidence to such crushing despondence? How does the man who sarcastically taunted 450 prophets suddenly give up when one queen threatens his life? 
I mean, we know about emotional backlash after big events. But this is something else entirely. I resonate with Elijah. I aspire to the Elijah of uh, chapter 18. I resonate with the Elijah of chapter 19. Some of you are familiar with my story. went down to Christchurch a few years back and and planted a church. Sometime later, I, I experienced burnout and had to step down from that role. And that's when I came back up here. I've sat under the juniper tree. I've sat and I've worded those words. I've had enough. I've had enough. I remember the moment, actually, I sat under the tree. I was in, my, in um, Joe Flammer's office. Some of you know Joe Flammer. Um, he's now leading the church down in Christchurch. And he was working with me at the time. And we were talking about the future. And just suddenly, I just, that was it. I, had, I just, I burst into tears. And I just sobbed and cried and sobbed like a teenage girl watching The Notebook. It was just, I just like, it was just coming out and out and out. I was like, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. You should have seen the look on poor Joe's face. (laughs) I mean, he handled it really well with a lot of compassion, a lot of wisdom. But he just, it's just there. I had nothing left. I had nothing left. That's what burnout is. I mean, really, it is the most simple concept in the world. When you have run out of all of the resources that you have within you, to deal with all of the forces that are coming against you. Think of it in military terms. Your army has been depleted, defeated. There is nothing left. The last guy defending the fort has been taken down, and you've got nothing. That's burnout. Happens physically, happens emotionally, and it happens spiritually, which is what happened to me when the spiritual resources that we have, our connection to God, which theoretically should get us through anything, but if you don't have that true connection to God, then all of the, the resources they have eventually would just get depleted. And that was it. I had nothing. So many people have sat under the juniper tree. So many people. And I can't help but think what it's like for those who don't have any spiritual resources at all, who have no connection to God, This is a country that has rejected God, that has rejected the concept of gaining strength from Him. So what do you get? Do you know what you get when you have a nation of people who have no spiritual resources? They have only got their limited physical and emotional resources to withstand the ongoing barrage of the world? You get one of the highest youth suicide rates in the world. Because there's just nothing left. So how important is it that we as Christians, as a church, introduce people to that strength? Introduce people that there is more that we can get to fight the world off. That there is a spiritual connection that we can have. That most importantly, that there is more to the story than just sitting under the juniper tree. There is more. Elijah didn't die under the juniper tree. In fact, he didn't die at all. Literally, did not die. Got taken up to heaven in a, gold, in a fiery chariot. That's great, different story, another time. We need to introduce people to the rest of the story. Have a look what happens from verses 5 onwards. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals in a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up, ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. What a beautiful image. I love this. The very first thing that God does 
He feeds him. He takes care of him. This is one, I just think this is one of the most beautiful, caring pictures of God that we have in the Bible. Here's Elijah. He's given up. He's given up on doing God's work. He's given up on following and on on obeying. He's just, I've had enough. He's thrown in the towel. And God does not start lecturing him. God does not start talking to him about, you know, you just wait until you see my son Jesus and what he's about to go through. You know, you think you've got it tough. He doesn't start giving him the Job, who are you to question me speech either. He just feeds him. Gives him some sleep. Gives him some water. The journey's too much for you. Let me take care of you. Such a beautiful, powerful image. One I've experienced from him. Simple recognition that Elijah was at the end of that rope and he needed a little help. But that wasn't all. That's not where he left him. From back in verse 8 again. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord, God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they want to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in that wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. See, with his physical strength restored, Elijah goes on 40 days and 40 nights probably an important number, into the wilderness to Mount Horeb, sits in a cave. And there God shows Elijah his glory, the glory of his whisper. And I think our first response is to kind of look at that and say, yes, God shows all of the power that he has, but he arrives in a whisper and shows that God works in the little things, in the brokenness, in the, in the weakness. That's great. I hope you get that out of that. But let's rewind a little bit, because I think more importantly than what God is doing in this passage is where He is doing it. He goes to Mount Horeb. Now, I don't know whether He chose to go there, or whether God drew him there, or some sort of mix of both. But Mount Horeb is also known as Mount, anyone? Sinai. Now, some scholars do think that those are two different places. But the majority, and and I think, given what we're seeing here, I think they're the same place. And this is important. This is the place where God came in the burning bush to Moses. This is the place where he gathered his people once they had been freed from Egypt and he turned them into his nation. He says, I have chosen you out of all of the world to be my special people. This is the place where God gives his commandments, his laws, as a way of bringing them closer to him. This is the birthplace of the nation of Israel. This is the birthplace in many ways of the story of God's redemption on earth. It is not a mistake or a coincidence that God brings Elijah here to this mountain. God is inviting Elijah to become part of that story, bringing him back into the history of what God has been doing. Do you hear his voice? Elijah's voice, he says, The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. I'm the only one left. 
This is the voice of a man who feels isolated from God's plan. He feels left out in the cold. He feels like he's been just thrown out there like a lamb to slaughter. And God invites him back to this mountain. He invites him back to the place where God set all of this in motion. Must have been very humbling. Incredible blessing. And there's a sense that by inviting Elijah back here, he is saying to him, you belong here. You belong in this story. You belong as part of what I'm doing. And the beautiful thing about that is he gives us that same invitation. Mount Horeb was the place of God's presence. It is where his glory was. By his spirit, his glory resides in us. We have our own little Mount Horeb right here. We're part of that story. We're part of this history. We belong. We're not just out in the cold by ourselves. And then we get into the action part. God shows him his glory. It seems like an odd sort of thing. You know, Elijah is complaining about, you know, all of the things that are going on, and then God says, I'm going to show you my glory. Now, the first time I, I read that, well, when I was reading this, I got a little confused about some of the details because I thought they were, he said that you can't see my face or you'll die. And, and there was some bits and pieces that I thought were part of the story that I didn't see in this passage. And then it occurred to me, this has happened before. God has done this before. There's another story just like this one where God reveals his glory to someone. You'll never guess who that person was, and you'll never guess where he did it. Yes, God revealed his glory to Moses right there. And you think Elijah knew about that story? You think he pulled his cloak over his eyes just by accident? Elijah would have been very acutely aware of the story I want to have a look at the passage in the story. It's in Exodus chapter 33. Um, I know that's part of the Exodus series, and Reuben will be getting to it later, so don't tell him I'm telling you this. And when he speaks on it, just act surprised. <laughs> Exodus 33, just a few verses in here. The Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. Then Moses says, now show me your glory. The Lord says, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed you by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. The similarities are intentionally obvious. When God says, I will pass by and show you my glory, he might as well have lit up a big neon sign saying, that I'm doing the thing I did to Moses. Part of me wishes and hopes that maybe the cave that he was in is the same place as the cave where he did it to Moses. I don't know, but that sounds fun, doesn't it? But I think the part of the story in Exodus, the part that would be dancing in my head, and, and I can't speak for Elijah, but the part that just really grabs me about the similarities is that in this passage before what I read to you, several times. God says, I will do what you ask because I am pleased with you. I'm pleased with you. I don't think it's a mistake. I think God said without saying to Elijah, 
He shows him his glory because he is pleased with him. You are okay. You're fine. Who you are is okay. I'm pleased with you. There's no need for guilt. There's no need for shame. There is no need for any of that because I am pleased with you. There is nothing more powerful to my soul than those words. I've grown up, my understanding of God and all of that sort of stuff, and I don't think I'm the only one. It's just the sense of I've got to do in order to be okay. Tick the boxes, you know, make sure I'm living the right way, all of that sort of stuff. And of course, we're never good enough, right? We, we say that every Sunday. You know, we're not good enough. So you marry that concept with the first concept and I'm useless, right? So God to come and say, you're okay. You're okay. I'm pleased with you. That's emotional healing. God is affirming to Elijah that the God who is behind Moses, the God who is pleased with Moses, is behind Elijah and is pleased with Elijah. The God who is behind you and pleased with you. The God who is behind me and who is pleased with me. That's, that's powerful. Verse 13. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here? Again, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, again, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Again, I wasn't there, so I don't know the tone of voice used, but you just get the sense that the first time was just, they asked the same question and get the same answer. But to get the impression the second time is different. The first time is, what are you doing here? And, and Elijah just, blah, and just lets all of it out like I did in Joe's office. And all the emotion and the aloneness came out in his words. And so God healed him of that, helped him with that. And then he asked him again more objectively, what are you doing here? What is the issue? And he replies the same way. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael over king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Mehalal, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael. And Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all those whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. So finally, after 13 verses, after all of this journey, 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness, after showing him his glory, finally God is now going to address the actual issue that put him under the tree in the first place. Now we're going to get to what's wrong, what's actually wrong. And I think this is important. And this is something we need to remember when we are working with people who are hurting, who are broken, who are going through difficult times. Don't just attack the issue first. God doesn't. First, he takes care of him physically. He was tired, hungry. He fed him. Then he takes care of the emotional. He was lonely. He was isolated. He was desperate. Then he got to the issue. And his issue is that Elijah felt like he was the only one left. That everything was crumbling. That if he died, that's it. Israel would officially become a godless nation or a Yahweh-less nation. And so God's response is to say, go anoint this guy. Go anoint that guy. And then go anoint this guy. And whoever uh, this guy doesn't kill, this guy will. And then whoever he misses, he will. Translation, my plan is 
still moving forward. I've still got ideas, you know? You, you, you may think this is the end of the road, but I'm, I'm okay. We're going to keep going. I've got some plans for you. I need you to get your successor going so that I can work with him as well because more things are going to happen. And then he says, and yet I reserve 7,000 all of Israel. You think you're alone? You think you're it? No. You're never alone. It is never that desperate. There is always a remnant. I will always hold in my hand a remnant of people. We will survive. (laughs) Remember where you're standing. Remember what mountain you were on. I took a Midian farmer and took down Egypt with him. I took a bunch of refugees and formed the nation you call home. I could do this. You know, do you think I'm going to lose? Do you really think I'm in trouble here? God is still in control, even at the worst of times. All right, so let's move into a little bit more practical. What does this mean for us? This is a story about God, not us. That's the first thing we need to know. This is a story about God's compassion and God dealing with people who have burnt out. But how do, what can we take from this in our lives? First of all, I think if you are sitting under this tree right now, and, and there may be some of you who have just had enough, and we hide it pretty well, you know, but we're just, we're done. We just had enough. My encouragement to you is not to try and get out of that spot. You don't have the resources anymore. You've burnt out. <laughs> just to throw yourself at the feet of Jesus, the feet of God. Let him pick you up. Let him help you. Let him bring people around you to help. I read a book recently, and one of the things I really loved in there, he says, self-help is an oxymoron. We can't always just help ourselves. He says, a car that has run out of gas cannot self-gas. It needs to be filled. So if you're sitting under that tree and you have nothing left, acknowledge that you have nothing left. We need help. The sick need to see a doctor. They can't just heal themselves. So avail yourself of the professional help. I recommend that. I've found that very helpful myself. Embrace the lament psalms. Check this one out in Psalms 22, verse 14. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. To your everyday reader, that seems a little dramatic. (laughs) I mean, come on now. But to those sitting under the juniper tree, that's how it feels. Let David lift you up with his words. David being the author of the Psalms. First Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on him for he cares for you. Don't try and fix yourself. Just throw yourself at God. Seek prayer help. Even if you cannot pray yourself. That's key. I was in a place up until fairly recently where I found it very difficult to pray because of this burnout issue. I just, I just couldn't. It's okay. It doesn't mean others can't pray for you. James 5.16, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a, of a righteous person is powerful and effective. We have a lovely big congregation here of people who would love to pray for you. Now, the sick need a doctor. We understand this. And if you are underneath the juniper tree, then you need to avail yourself of that. But for many of us, we're not there yet. We're on various different paths on that journey. Maybe things are going great. That's good. Maybe things are heading down that road. What can we do? 
Well, as I said, the sick, they need a doctor, but the healthy can put plans in place to avoid the doctor, can't they? And I think there's a few things that we can do, just really quickly. The first, that God, that God has given us these things to help us. One is Sabbath. Rest. We find it, and, and a lot of guys find this too, I think, sometimes that we just feel like we have to work and work and work and work and work. Because there's rest. This is one of the things that he's given us to help keep us strong. It was so important to God, he built it into the creation story. Rest. I'm going to talk about Sabbath a little bit later on in Exodus as well, so I'm not going to do much with it now, but just do it. <laughs> just rest. Celebrations. All throughout the Old Testament, God set up all of these times where he was like, you're going to have a festival for this. And these are really important. We've let them all go by. But they're really important because for a week, and they're often a week long, we sit and we don't work and we let the world kind of sit on the sideline and we focus on a story of God's redemptive plan, something that he has done to rescue us. And just like Elijah going to Mount Horeb, it brings us back into the story and shows us our place. We have things like that every week at communion. We have Easter, Christmas, times where more than any other time of the year, we just really bring our focus back. And that strengthens us, gives us perspective. But I think the most important thing that we need is spiritual connection. John 15, 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Again, so simple we just connect to the power source then our resources for dealing with the world will be enough my grace is sufficient for you god says take heart i have overcome the world he has the power to help us we just need to connect and i'm going to say something fairly controversial right now spiritual connection does not equal Bible study and prayer. Bible study and prayer are a means to spiritual connection. They are the way that we connect with God. But I can tell you from personal experience, you can go through your entire life, read the Bible back and forth, and pray without connecting to God. And I think the thing that I have struggled most with is I have tried to build that connection myself. And I, I, there's a mystery to it. <laughs> we just open ourselves up to God. Seek Him. Draw near to Him, and He will draw near to you. We read the Bible to understand Him. And some people, they find that deeply connecting. For others, it's, it's just understanding who He is. It helps us. It draws us into that place. Prayer draws us into that place. But if we are not connecting with God personally, then we're not going to get the resources to help us. But if we do, He is enough. I want to leave, I want to finish. I'm going to introduce communion in a second, but I just, I want to read you some verses uh, from Isaiah chapter 40. Verses that for some of us are an anthem of what God has done for us. For others, they're an anthem of what we hope God can do for us. But as we sit under the juniper tree or on our way to the juniper tree, let us take comfort that for Elijah, he found these words. He found them eventually. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power for the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk 
and not be faint. Lord, give us that strength. We're going to have communion now. Um, And so communion is off to the sides. You can go and grab your little cup and bready thing, and they, they represent the ultimate in God caring for us, the ultimate in God giving us strength by eliminating our sin, eliminating our guilt on the cross. As we take time to go into communion, this is a great chance to immerse yourself back into the story, where you belong in the story. Who are you to God? Who are you to God? Do you believe that God is pleased with you? Do you believe that you are okay? There's a cross on Calvary that says I am. So go, take some time. If you would like prayer, you can come and... and I I want to do something a little bit slightly different. For those people who would normally go up and pray with people, I wonder if you could just kind of hang back just a little bit and, and give this space to just, for you to just go throw yourself at God's feet. If you need to have that time to just talk to Him without someone else coming into that space. And then if you need prayer, maybe you can just kind of wink or signal or something or go see someone for prayer. But if you want to just take some time to have your communion or whatever, just... Sit under that tree with God. If you've had enough, then then tell him. Let him heal you. Draw near to him. Let him draw near to you. Let me pray. Lord, you, well, you're very familiar with my my little experience under the tree. And and Lord, you're still in a journey with me of, of bringing me back into strength. And I thank you that you did not leave me under the tree. You do not leave us under the tree. For those of us who are hurting, Lord, I ask that you would just really embrace them with that care and that love that you gave Elijah right off the bat. Help them to understand that you are pleased with them. Lord, if, if people are in a really great spot, if, they, if you have got them healthy, I ask that you would help them to help others that you would help them to introduce people who have no spiritual resources at all, that they would know you. Help us all to see the part that we have to play in this. In your name, amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources or to donate to our teaching resource ministry or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shore.org.nz Alternatively, you can email office at shore.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.